Welcome to the Reframed Podcast, brought to you by Framework Church. Uh, Yes, this is episode number one. We are launching a brand new podcast here. Uh, And so lately, our church has been walking through a sermon series on spiritual warfare and the spiritual realm. Uh, And so today, we are going to kick off this podcast by answering some of the questions uh, that our our church family has submitted. Uh, And we're just going to dialogue through some of these questions. And I'm excited for the conversation that we will have today. Uh, In the room, we have our pastor of strategic multiplication, Jason Blakey. Our pastor of leadership and spiritual formation, Rick Cavanaugh, uh, and our worship and development pastor, Victoria Rowe, and I am the pastor of Next Gen Ministries, Parker Davis, and we are excited to dive in. And so let's not waste any more time, shall we? And so, guys, que- uh, the first question that I would have for us today is Can angels and demons be injured, disabled, killed, or otherwise destroyed? Uh, let's start with an easy one on the spiritual realm. <laughs> and so, can angels and demons be injured, disabled, killed, or otherwise destroyed? Wow. Well, angels and demons, I think, are two different things. So, mm-hmm. you've got two different categories of beings there, right? And at the end of the age, gee, the, the Bible says that hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. So whatever happens to them there, it's not good. And that ultimately is going to be what happens to them. So their fate is sealed in that sense. Now, I'm I'm thinking maybe the question is probably wondering about like right now, can an angel have harm done to it or something? Yeah, probably. Yeah. As opposed kind of to their ultimate end. Uh, And then when you got the demons that were inside of Legion or the guy they were, they was named Legion. Remember they, asked Jesus not to send them to the place of torment before their time. Mm-hmm. So that would indicate that they could be tormented, or at least that ultimate torment's coming though. Whether they could be tormented before that time comes, we're not really told. When they got sent into the ocean, we don't really know what happened to them at that point, whether they ceased being or their 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 spirits were then free to go move somewhere else. Yeah, find some other host. We're or assuming that Jesus wouldn't want them to be free going around, but it doesn't specifically say in the Bible what to do with that. Yeah, the pigs just ran into the sea and died. But we're not told. There's a lot of stuff in those realms that we're not given information. We don't even know if their living situation is even the same as ours. Do they bleed? Do they breathe? We, we don't know how God created an angel at all. So, I mean, to, to even say, can they be injured? We, don't, we just don't know because the Bible's not clear or how they're created or what God even made them from. So yeah, there is some kind of resistance. Like remember the story with Daniel praying, and the one ain't the the angel said he was trying to get the answer through to Daniel, but the prince of Greece or Persia, whoever it was, was blocking him. So whether there was injury or not, we don't know. But there was resistance. There was one will was pitted against another, and it took a while for that angel to be able to get through to get the message to Daniel. Well, that would be accurate to the other battle statements that you hear in the mm-hmm. Bible. The battle belongs to the Lord. You're hearing often about how the heavenly hosts are fighting for us. Yeah. It just doesn't really go into detail about the rest of that. Right. Good question, but I don't think yeah. there's a good answer for Yeah, that question has actually come up, I think, three or four times. I can see three questions right here in front of me uh, from people submitting, like, do angels and demons, like, do the heavenly hosts battle against uh, the enemies of the the spiritual world and the spiritual realm um 
And I think that's a really good example that the answer is yes. Like there is this spiritual war, I guess, going on around us and we can't really see it. And I mean, Paul says that we don't wage war with flesh and blood, but against the, the powers of the unseen realm. And that's really hard to understand. Um, I know growing up, I didn't really have a, a concept that like spiritual realms were a real thing. In my worldview, growing up in high school, it was kind of like what's physically here in front of us is reality. And if it's not, it's not real. So, so you didn't believe in angels and stuff like that? Not really. No, if I could be honest. Yeah. Um, I think it wasn't until I actually encountered the Lord in a real, uh, I wouldn't say tangible, but almost like supernatural encounter that I began to believe that the spiritual realm and, and world is actually a thing and it's, it exists, but it's so far outside of my, my scope of understanding. Right. It's like we have the head knowledge of it, but what does that actually, like what are the implications of that in reality? Yeah. Right. Yeah, like experientially, and, like even growing up in, in church and Sunday school, but movies, my concept of demons were like these ferocious beasts yeah. and angels were these like phenomenal, super like the rugged, yeah, super rugged warriors that are like, yeah, that's the guy I want to be. And I got these massive white wings. Or and, really pretty. <laughs> yeah, that too. Yeah. Well. And there's so much misunderstanding about all that. Like I heard just recently somebody say that somebody who had passed away, that they mm. are now an angel, yeah. you know, like they become angels and a lot of wrong theology, even in the church about what are angels and right. what do we become when we die? Do we become angels? Do we become ghosts? Do you know what happens? There's a lot of misunderstanding uh, that people have about what, where we are and how those things relate to us. Yeah. And I, I wonder like, is there, like one question I had answered, asked me by one of our teenagers uh, was like, is it just God and angels and then Satan and demons? Like, are those the only spiritual characters in the Bible? And uh, that like really threw me for a loop. And uh, that's like a whole conversation on its own. Um, but I don't, I don't know. Like you, like you even mentioned the heavenly hosts. Like my question for you would be, who are the heavenly hosts? What are the heavenly hosts? Right? Because you see that all throughout scripture, like Psalm 84, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the heavenly hosts. Like, is that just another way of saying he's the, he's not just the God of us, but he's also the God of angels or? The spiritual beings. Yeah. And there's different, I mean, there are different categories, different beings that he mentions. Um, I'm not a theologian enough to know if they're the exact same being with different names, meaning when he talks about the cherubim or the seraphim, are they the same as the angels or not? It seems not because the way they're described is different, right. but right. I, I don't, I don't know enough of it to know if they're going to be the exact same category of being or not. Yeah. And is there like, there's an archangel in Catholic tradition. I think they name like eight or nine archangels. Hmm. Uh, so they some, some of them from other writings outside the Bible actually give them names and then they would see the cherubim uh, or a cherub or a cherubim would be the plural of that. They would see those as being different than the seraphim. 
Uh, and Lucifer, if you take that passage in the Old Testament, talks about him as the, as the he's referred to as a cherub. And uh, so that would indicate that he's something different than just an angel. Yeah. You know, and then in Ephesians, it doesn't, it says that there's principalities and powers and rulers and spiritual powers in high places. And talking about that demonic realm or that evil realm, there seems to be a multiple grades of beings and like a hierarchy. Yeah. And if that's the case on the bad side, probably that's the case on the good side too. Maybe. So we've been talking a little bit about the spiritual realm and the differences between angels and demons and, whether or not they can get hurt and the concept of the whole heavenly hosts. Yeah, we got a little sidetracked. I don't know if we ever answered the question of whether they're battling for us or not. Well, short answer, I think, is yes. And yeah, it talks about I think Michael. You mentioned that. It talks about Michael as like a warrior. All right, fighting for Israel. Yes. Yeah. So I think if there's fighting, there must be something to battle against. So just right. to make sure we do clearly answer that question. Yeah. I saw uh, a comic article that someone put on Facebook and it had this man walking down the street and um, all around him, he saw these white glowing beings against these dark beings. It was obvious that it was like an angel versus a demon. And they were kind of, the angels were fighting off the demons as the person was just walking down the street. I'm not sure if it's always like that, uh, where the angels are constantly fighting off the demons, but I definitely know that God fights for us often. Especially yeah. through prayer. Yeah, it's like, like our, our concept of the spiritual warfare comes out of Frank Peretti's book, right? This Present Darkness. Yeah. It was probably written before you guys were born, but that that has that whole picture of they're like engaging yeah. with swords and fighting behind the scenes. And the more we pray, the more the angels win. I don't know if it's exactly that way, but that was his imagination has fueled a lot of our understanding of how all of that works. Yeah, and that's a lot of like the portrayal that we see in in pop culture and mainstream media, as far as like entertainment goes with TV and um, like the, the old, I can remember old, old TV show that I used to see my grandparents watch called touched by an angel. Mm -hmm. It was like an angel dwelling among people. And they're a complete human form. You wouldn't be able to tell them the difference because they're guiding you along. It does say in Hebrews that we have to be careful because we can entertain angels unaware. Yeah. So it's possible to be interacting with somebody according to the book of Hebrews and it be an angel and we not know it. So if that's the case, that would be somebody who has taken on some form of of corporality. I mean, they've got some material form. Mm -hmm. And of course, angels sat down with Abraham on the plains and and with the, the pre-incarnate son of God and ate a meal together with him before going in and destroying Sodom. So they had physical form. They sat down and ate a meal. Uh, so they, they, it, it appears that they have the ability to be in a spirit form because it says that Lucifer possessed Judas. So he had to be in some kind of spirit form, but it also appears that at times they have physical form so they can kind of do both maybe in some way. I don't know if we can even understand that, but. And when it comes to like physical manifestation of, of angels. I mean, there's a passage in Genesis that talk about fallen angels coming down and, and having sex with, with humans and they're called the Nephilim. And that's actually a question that we received like three or four times. Like, can you guys speak to that? The concept of the Nephilim um, within the story of Genesis. I think it comes out of Genesis six, maybe Genesis three. Yeah. Genesis six. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's right in there in scripture. There's no denying the fact that that story is present and that in fact it says right at the end of six, that they become the heroes 
of old, or what is it? Did you use the word heroes and erect yourself? They were mighty men of old, mighty men. renowned. So, like Hercules. Well, that's some. Some would suggest that perhaps that these, these angels some. had sex with women. Some people would. I mean, obviously, this story is interpreted differently by different people. Some would say that this this is the line of the Sethites who are sleeping with some other line physical line so you know you've got uh, evil people sleeping with good people but that doesn't that seems to be fabricated because when a good person sleeps with a bad person it doesn't give birth to a giant or a fallen one or a nephilim <laughs> you know what i mean so if you read the text for just what it says that's what it's saying that and of course a lot of people then take this and, a, and overlay it with the a book of Enoch, which is not biblical, but it was quoted in scripture, Jude quoted it. And so they would take from that this whole idea of these angelic beings coming down, sleeping with women to give birth to these creatures that are part human, part angel, uh, which is referred to here as Nephilim, which means fallen one, and as an attempt to corrupt the human seed, because in chapter three, God has revealed that the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. So redemption's coming through the human race. So let's corrupt mankind in such a way that that can't happen. And so that seems to be a satanic plot that was enacted to try to stop the Messiah from coming. And then you see that repeated over and over in lesser ways, like Pharaoh trying to kill all the baby boys, Herod trying to kill all the baby boys, uh, Haman trying to trick the king into killing all the people at the time of Esther. You've got all of these repeated attempts of, of annihilating the Jewish people through which the Messiah is going to come. And this is just one of those ways that Satan was trying mankind here. And then when it became identified in Genesis 12, that the, the particular line of mankind through which the Messiah was going to come was going to be Abraham, then he targeted that. And then once it was apparent it was going to be the line of Judah, he targeted that. So he kind of narrowed his focus as he learned more and more who the Messiah was going to come through. So it's all part of that satanic plot. It all, it's almost as if Satan isn't, you know, able to see into the future. That right. he, he has to, even though he's a spiritual being and he's outside of our, I think, full understanding of what the spiritual realm is, it's as if he has to take things as they're happening and unfolding and plan accordingly to that, where uh, scripture is very clear that the Lord knows everything from beginning to end mm -hmm. that he is actually outside of time and is the initiator of time. But just like you had said a few moments ago that like if angels and demons and let's include Satan in this have a beginning, it's possible they have an end, but that would also, I think help us conclude that they can't think and plan and do things outside of the scope of time and reality. Yeah. We often like to raise Satan to, to God's level, thinking that there must be a, a balance of good and evil. There's the yin and the yang, um, but there, there's not. The God has no equal. There's nothing at his level, and, and Satan is created by him. So that's where you get, I would agree, there, there is no time ability there for Satan to go be an omnipresent. Right. He, he has a very limited ability to be, just like maybe more than you and me. I don't know. I don't know his full ability because he's not the same. He's not human, but he does have to stay inside the timeline. He can't be jumping to the past and the present and the future, and he can't be everywhere at once. But so you mean there's no multiverse like in Spider-Man? 
Well, that's a whole different theory. I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the so these angels came and they slept with humans and they gave birth to giants. So we have yeah. the story of guys like Goliath and Og and some of those people. Um, and then the flood came and God destroyed the earth. It seems to be that God destroyed it because this plan of the devil or of the serpent or the, you know, whoever this is, the, the Satan is a title, the accuser. That plan was working because when it says that Noah was perfect in his generation, it seems to be that the meaning of that is that he had uncorrupted flesh. His family line was not corrupted. So God's act of destroying the world with a flood was actually an act of grace to preserve the human race mm -hmm. through which the Messiah could come because right. it was being quickly destroyed by this plan. And so God brings the flood and all of these Nephilim are wiped out in the flood. Uh, some people, and I think the book of Enoch says this, some people believe that demons then are the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim. Because you've got these beings who are part angel, part human, and they've got a spirit, but they're not they're not either angel or human. So what happens to them? And there's some scriptures that seem to indicate that in Isaiah, that they don't die like a man. And so they are disembodied. And then they're wandering around. And Jesus said that demons are wandering around in dry places looking for a host to inhabit. They're hungry to inhabit a body. And so it seems like they're maybe disembodied from the flood and now they're looking to inhabit a body. So so a demon is something that we as the church have authority to cast out and deal with. Uh, the book of Jude says that we have to be we have to be more careful when it comes to fallen angels. That's a whole different level. And it says that even Micah the archangel did not bring a railing judgment against the devil but said the Lord rebuke you. So uh, he was treading carefully in that because that was a mm -hmm. level of spiritual authority that was different than a demon. We see in scripture the, the the Tower of Babel was humanity coming together and and not so much trying to reach heaven, but trying to be like God. And then you see uh, God destroy the tower and scatter the people and uh, change all the languages so they couldn't communicate. Um, but I was reading I was reading out of a book that talked about how. Uh, there were also evil spirits or demons. At the same time, God scattered them over the, the known world of the time. Um, and I kind of wonder if that's, that's true. I know a lot of that's speculation, but it makes me wonder, is there a possibility that like, spirits were scattered and rule over specific areas like territorial gods. yeah the yeah, balls were all territorial i don't know if that's because god scattered them or if just as people scattered they those people worshipped certain gods and those gods responded in whatever area they were in i you know the babel means that name means gateway of the gods that's mm -hmm. the that's the translation of that word so right uh, some people think when they built babel they were trying to open up another doorway to have another incursion of fallen angels coming into the world and so god stopped that because uh, that was he didn't care if they built a tower and certainly it wasn't a threat that they built a ziggurat that they were going to worship the stars or something like that i mean those things exist all over the place right uh but they were trying to build another gateway to bring back in another incursion of of what happened with the watchers in genesis 6. at least some would speculate that that's speculation but i almost feel like i'm listening to the movie uh, ghostbusters as i'm hearing this like you no, <laughs> yeah. If you think about it, there's this the, the spiritual realm trying to come back through a gate and, yeah. and do that. And 
it's funny as as we're talking about these biblical things, a lot of people don't realize these spiritual realm stuff because we've seen it all through Hollywood is real. We almost say, oh no, those Hollywood stories are fictional. I'm not saying Ghostbusters happened, right? But like you hear some of these stories and think oh. little pieces of things and build the story off of that. Yeah, yeah. I think gates are real. There was I was in Israel one time and went to Caesarea Philippi, which is at the base of Mount Hermon, and there's this grotto there at the base of the mountain. And when you stand inside the grotto, there's all kinds of carvings of different religious groupings of people. You know, the god Pan and other gods. And it was at that point that Jesus said, you know, who do men say that I am? And then he said to the disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and that very place is the spot where, the, the, like the, he said, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Well, that opening into that center for worshiping Pan at the base of Mount Hermon, which is where the watchers were supposed to come down, was called the gates of Hades. It was the gates of hell. And that was considered a gate or a, a doorway to the spirit realm because supposedly the watchers came down there. So it's interesting that Jesus posed that question at that place. Hmm. And when Peter gave the answer, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, uh, Jesus' response, you know, he was he was very impressed with what Peter had to say and gave a blessing to Peter uh, at that moment. So that seems to, it's not it's not conclusive, but there's suggestion there that there really are gateways and that may be a major one the nephilim idea that you were talking about earlier i don't think i've ever read or heard that which theory is that just about it being satan's plot to overturn humanity oh yeah okay the yeah. corrupt the human the seed. corrupt the human seed yeah i mean it makes sense i just never yeah. thought about it like that yeah that you're looking through that that you know six verses i think it is right it's really hard to unpack but when you look at it, the bigger yeah. picture yeah it follows the storyline of how satan's yeah. trying to corrupt it from the beginning well, and, and that theory comes out of the book of enoch which again is inner test i mean it's uh, it's not it's not scripture hmm. right it was it was a revered book uh by you know just like we have books that are not scripture but we highly respect them so it was a highly respected book and was quoted in the book of jude so jude did quote from the book of enoch and Enoch was found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. And it goes into great detail describing all of the plan of the Watchers and sleeping and why they were doing it. And that through them came all the knowledge of alchemy and because they traded, they gave mankind secrets. If man gave them their women, you know, it was all of that kind of stuff. So sorcery and all of those magic arts were learned through these fallen angels. And the book of Enoch goes into great detail explaining all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's a theory that's been out there a long time. Uh, again. I, I think it it, it it makes sense to me, but whether, I mean, we don't know for sure, but that seems like it could be that. Yeah. Without without having more inside these six verses, that's really, yeah. we can speculate, we can get educated, we can look at books like Enoch. Yeah. It didn't make the canon in the sense of forming the Bible we know today. Right. But uh, it's definitely interesting literature for people to be able to look at, and they can find that online, I'm guessing. Yeah, there is yeah. a, there are passages in, in Peter, though, that seem to also back that up that talks about angels who uh, left their natural estate and it compares them to the to the uh, angels in Sodom and then they were cast down to uh, Hades or to the to the to the abyss as a punishment uh, and that seems to be referring back to the days of Noah because it references Noah and those days and so those angels were cast down to that place of torment because of what they did. And what's interesting is it, it makes a comparison between what they did 
and what the people in Sodom did. And I think a lot of times people think the whole um, Sodom story is just about the fact that these that these men wanted to sleep with these angels. But what's going on here, you know, thinking that they're men, so you get the homosexuality piece in that. But really, what's going on is you've got humans who are wanting to sleep with angels, you know, and 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 then it talks now about what happened in the days of Noah when angels wanted to sleep with humans and you got a mixing of different species and that became the point of contention at which God sent these spirit beings into Tartarus or the abyss whatever name is used there and so there's there is circumstantial evidence that seems to piece all that together and then in the book of Revelation you've got that story how the pit is going to be opened and these beings are going to come out who are like scorpions and they torment everybody. And so some believe those are those fallen angels who have been in this prison for however millennia, and they're going to come out and torture people now at that time. So there are pieces that you connect the dots and it looks like it fits, but yeah. Yeah. And that really, really shows us like with the, the Nephilim, the, the fall in the garden of Eden, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, the book of Revelation and John's visions that really the spiritual realm and, and the physical realm are so interconnected. And I think a lot of times we downplay just how interconnected they are. Uh, I was listening to the Bible Project's mm -hmm. uh, seven-part series. Uh, if you haven't watched it, you should totally check it out. Just go to YouTube, type in the Bible Project and search up their seven part series on spiritual beings yeah. and they they got to the the height of their series on Jesus and was talking about how uh, the greatness of the gospel isn't just that Jesus came to free us and restore us from our fallen nature and our sin but that at the beginning there really there was a spiritual rebellion and when Jesus went to the cross it's as if he he was being defeated by by the spiritual enemies of of the spiritual world um and then also bearing our sin and when he rose from the dead it's as if he he conquered not just death which was the punishment for sin but he also defeated uh, the spiritual enemies in the unseen yeah. realm and uh, yeah it's like psalm 22 that, yeah. you know, that quotes you know what jesus is saying from the cross he says the bulls of the shan have encircled me which is a language that's used to describe maybe spiritual entities and you know, you see that so much through the Bible, like when when um, God brought the plagues upon Egypt through Moses, it wasn't just 10 plagues, but he was he was specifically targeting the gods of the Egyptians. Right. So they worshiped the Nile River, so and there was a god of the Nile, so the Nile was turned to blood. You know, they worshiped frogs, so they bring in frogs. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so each of those plagues were targeting a specific god. So... Though it was Moses and Pharaoh in, in a contest behind the scenes, which we get to read, right. uh, there's a bigger battle going on in the spirit realm, and it's showing that Jehovah is greater than all of these gods of the yeah. Egyptians. Which almost proves uh, Psalm 82 right, that when the writer of that psalm says that the Lord is the Elohim or God of the Elohims, mm -hmm. God, it's as if... He's not just the one and only God of creation, but of the spiritual realm as well, that he's like, there's these spiritual beings, but he's on a whole nother level. Um, 
which in, in learning this over the last few months, honestly, has, I think, strengthened my faith that, yes, there's there's spiritual forces that are against us as followers of Jesus, but our hope and, and faith is that we believe in, in the God of the gods, like he is on another level, that he's yeah. actually put them into creation. And we look at the story of Jesus and we see how he has overcome them and destroyed them and... Uh, Maybe that's that gives insight into when Lucifer or the serpent, uh, I guess he's identified maybe as Lucifer in, in Revelation 12, but the serpent says to Eve that God, Elohim, knows in the day that you eat of the fruit, it says your eyes will be opened and you will become like the, and he uses those, the plural, you become like the gods. Mm-hmm. He doesn't say you become like God. He says you become like the gods. Right. And so maybe the temptation wasn't even that they're going to rise up to the level of Jehovah. Maybe there's this hierarchy of beings that we would call small G gods, and he was just saying you'll be like them. Like the heavenly hosts. Yeah. Which is actually their destiny and ours, because we are going to judge angels. Mm. So what he was really offering them was an ascendancy to a position that is our inheritance. He was just giving them a shortcut Mm -hmm. instead of doing a God's way, which is the same thing he did to... Jesus showed him all the kingdoms in a moment of time and said, I'll give these if you'll worship me. And so it's ascendancy to a place of rulership without going through the cross. And he was offering that to Adam and Eve, and he was offering that to Jesus, and he offers it to us as well. Yeah, so it's a shortcut that creates shortcomings. Yeah. It also, wouldn't it work to his overall goal of becoming like God in himself, as in, if he's able to create create all these characters of gods that people are worshiping, it's almost as if he's getting the credit from humans rather than worshiping the god. Instead, they're all focused on these minor gods. Little G gods. Little G gods and, and worshiping them as God. Right. So in that case, he's actually doing what he's setting out to do in our minds. He is God. Because that's what we're worshiping. Which really shows the audacity of Lucifer. You know, in the I will statements in Isaiah 14, I think it is, he said, I will ascend to the clouds of the north. I will, da, 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 da. He goes all these seven I wills. And he says, I will be like the most high. So Adam and Eve are being tempted to be like the gods, but it's small g. You can be in this pantheon of the heavenly host. But Lucifer was different. He was saying, I'm going to be like the Most High. I'm, I'm not settling with being there because I'm already there. I'm in that pantheon. I'm going to overturn that, the actual throne of heaven. So his is a completely unique a, uh, aspiration from even what any of the other beings had. You know, He was so great in beauty and wisdom and perfect that he actually had the audacity to think he could usurp the throne. Well, we're actually out of time. Thank you so much for joining us on a premiere episode of the Framework Church Reframed Podcast. Be sure to hit subscribe so you don't miss part two of this podcast where we talk about aliens, demon possession, and STDs. We would love to have you come visit our church Saturday at 6 p.m. or Sunday at 10 a.m. Or you can check us out online at www.framework.church.